Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at... Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game live streams. You'll see us after this upcoming game as well. You can always shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the president of the 0.2% Club, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh <laughs> I'm a happy 2%er in the Aggie sense of the word. I'm not exactly sure what the 0.2% club is. Is it similar to the Dollar Shave Club? It is the win probability that Texas had, <laughs> according to ESPN. ESPN had Texas at a 99, or Texas Tech at a 99.8% win probability. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you, Gerald. When we make the documentary of Texas's national championship season, and they, they start with that play. It's going to look at that win probability, and then it's going to pan to if he would have gone down, how it would have been 100%, uh, <laughs> and they could have bled the clock out. But him scoring to rub the wounds in it again. There's three minutes left. It's hard to tell a kid when you see green grass not to take it. Um, but him scoring even created a 0.2%. If not, it would have been a, a 0.0% chance. Um, and with Sam Ellinger, 0.2% is is all you need, man. That oh. Hopefully everyone watched our live immediate podcast so you could see Gerald and I struggling to catch our, our breath on Facebook <laughs> Live as we, like all of you, were, were breathless in, in shock and, 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 and cardiac arrest. Um, but uh, now we're a bit more measured. We have some, some data points and stats, and we're going to talk a little bit about what the heck happened. Yeah, we were both sweaty, like legitimately sweaty following yeah. that game. Like it's it was ridiculous. But here's the thing: Sir Roderick Thompson is a uh, is a speed racer. We know that about him. He is too fast and too furious just to go down when there's a quarter mile of field ahead of him, and he lives his life a quarter mile at a time. And he shouldn't probably have even been playing in this game because he got arrested earlier in the week. Um, but uh, you know, how, how do you tell a kid not to? I mean, they could have Tokyo drifted to a win, but instead <laughs> he decided to score. But we'll, we'll, we'll dive in deeper. We're, we're here to talk about one thing. 
And that is the improbable of improbable comebacks. Texas scores 22 points unanswered after after falling behind 15 with just three minutes left, three minutes and 13 seconds, I believe, left on the clock. Sam Ellinger said, and I quote, that's too much time. We're going to score, tie this thing up, and send it to overtime. And boy golly, did he. Texas (laughs) came from behind in just the 12th 15-plus point comeback in the last five seasons, I think the stat was like 1,200 plus or like 1,200 to 1,300 games and just 12 of them. The teams have managed a comeback 15 points or greater in the fourth quarter. And so, Kyle, we, we have to start with QB1, right? We have to start with the big story with the Big 12 co-offensive player in the week, Davey O'Brien, Manning, all that stuff this week. Big game from the quarterback, 27 of 40, 262 yards, five touchdowns. She had probably only needed four to win this one, but whatever. In an interception, 16 carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Sam the Man put together quite a show, and I think uh, for a lot of people, hopefully put aside some of the talk of like, you know what, maybe maybe the guy in, in uh, Ames is better. Maybe the guy in Norman is better. Only one guy in the conference has put up any sort of stat line like Sam Ellinger. Yeah, if you zoom out and take a macro look, his start to the season has been um, has been crazy, right? In six quarters worth of work, he's put up you know some unparalleled stats, right? So the, there's caveats that this one you know got an extra overtime drive. And uh, the first one was against a UTEP team that – very cr- clearly taught us that thing that none of us remember, but uh, both for Tech and Texas um, openers don't always tell you everything. But, hey, look, <laughs> Sam Ellinger won the game. He wins games. There was a, a like we joked about, 0.2% chance to win, and there was one person in the stadium, maybe a couple, maybe I think Herman seemed to believe him as well, but there was one person without a doubt who believed, yeah, that's I can do this. Let's go do this. Um, I, I do think a smart move would to be open the games, telling our team that we're down by you know four touchdowns and just um, letting them play because that was perfect football. Once their backs against the wall, I mean that was perfect football. That was Sam Ellinger. Um, it's two hundred sixty-two yards. You mentioned over a hundred of those, and three of his five touchdowns came in the last three minutes. You know that in in overtime, that was um, inspired play. He he needed to be perfect, and he pretty much was. I mean the the whole team. Uh, rallied around him but I mean when when you have a guy who <laughs> I love that he said this Herman quoted him as saying um, they left us too much time right you want a guy you want to feel that way right you want to feel that oh no we we gave them the ball you know we, we we joked about that when Kyler Murray was playing when we were going back and forth with them and the guy won the Heisman that year he was just you know oh he can't leave OU that much time with that offense that's how it should feel with with an elite Texas quarterback, and I think that's that's how it felt. And and was this Sam's best game he's ever played? No, I, I would say on a holistic level, probably not. Right, he missed some throws. Um, he tried to force one in. He had an interception, which you know since his beginning years he hasn't really struggled with. Um, but he was it was a dismal third quarter. We'll talk about where he was trying to force Woo. things to happen. Um, but you know it, it 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 was not his his best game ever. But I mean, if Sam Ellinger plays like he played in the final couple minutes when he had to when there was no other choice but to be perfect then I don't know that there's any college football player in the country whose 100% level has looked better this season than Sam's did in that moment yeah and 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 you talked about the final three minutes but I think the his last seven attempts is what's most impressive to me so he last seven attempts he completed all seven for 79 yards two first downs and three touchdowns just five just two 
of the seven did not go for a first down or a touchdown wow. on that, which is just incredible. So, like, he closed it out. Sam is a closer, and I and I said this in the in the post game live stream, but I think for the first time since Colt McCoy was on campus, Texas has one of those guys in the in the quarterback position that you look at him and you're like. No matter what, regardless of the side of the ball, you can say, if I do my job, that guy's going to win us a game. Texas hasn't had that in 12 years. Like, when, when, was, when was Colton? Like, 2008, 2009. It's like 11, 12 seasons, right? Yeah. Like, Texas hasn't have, had that dude. And Texas has that dude this year. And that is a lot of times the difference between an average team and a championship-level team. I mean, look at the teams that made the playoffs last year. They had... Uh, outside of OU, really a like championship-winning quarterback. And you saw which team struggled the most in the playoffs. That's another conversation, right? Um, but Sam Sam is doing what he needs to do to lead this team. And I think there are guys all around him that need to step up and kind of play to that level as well. But if Sam can manage 312 yards against TCU, which I think is a very real possibility, he will have the fastest season to 1,000 yards in the school history. Faster than... Four, uh, four games that he's done twice already. And again, he also had tied Colt with that. So like Sam's ability to lead this team in this, in this quick strike offense is impressive. Texas actually leads the nation and drives under two minutes. I think they have eight total this year, which is just absolutely incredible uh, to see how quickly they can get down the field. Scoring drives in under two minutes. Not we're not talking three and outs here. No, that's that's um, that's the key part of that set. That's that's incredible. They're scoring the ball. I mean, I'm not going to say Texas Tech is the best defense in the country. Obviously, UTEP is not either. Um, but you know, Tech did some things right, and what what they did is they they realized at some point they came out in the second half and adjusted, and they realized, look, we're going to drop eight. We're going to drop eight and make Sam Ellinger pick us apart and beat us. And then they found out when our offensive line is oh, just. It, well, they found out when our offensive line is in shambles, they can still put pressure on him. I mean, I felt like Sam didn't have a clean pocket for very much of this game. He had people, I mean, even some of his big runs came off of, oh, there was a free rusher on Sam um, that, a, that a lineman just missed in the first quarter, and he he breaks a sack for 10 yards and ends up getting a 16-yard rush, right? Like, Sam had a couple design runs, but he also had four or five, four or so really good scrambles where he made something out of nothing right and 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 I, I think you're you're remiss to not talk about his total you know he's over 300 yards total when you you add in the rushing because they were all useful and meaningful yards and and when they did drop eight as long as the part that should be intuitive in that that they kept uh, even a little bit of a pocket between yours scheme and in sam's arm they were you know a majority of the time like able to to do something there and, and able to, to put a hurt in and make them pay for it. So um, I, I think there are positives that you take away th from this. I think there are things that you spin forward, but I think that th the biggest thing that we talked about is just, there's a belief, like you said, that you have a winner, that if you leave him time, he will make you pay for it. That if it needs to be done, you have a player who can make it be done. And there's a reason we talk about Vince Young. There's a reason we talk about Colt McCoy. There's a reason people talk about, you know, the, the old timers and in, in, in street and some of these guys who just know how to go out and win. And Sam Ellinger is every bit of one of those, right? And, and we'll see what his legacy is when we write the end of it. But, I mean, this is one of those games people will remember and will talk about. And, and, you know, most of that will fall squarely on his shoulders. As we talk about Sam Ellinger, we also have to talk about um, the reason why I think he had some middle game struggles. And we have to dial in on that offensive line. Kyle, we, we've talked about it <sighs> in our preview. We talked about it after UTEP. But the offensive line is still a work in progress. They, they had, like, with three guys opt out, so some depth is not there. Uh, injuries as well they've been struggling with. But 
like when it's all said and done, that right side really struggled. Denzel Okafor looked really bad. Like I hate calling out a single guy, but like he's responsible for like 30% of Texas's total penalty yardage in that game. Granted half of that came on one play and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But like the, the right side of the offensive line was, was a problem spot for Texas. I was not impressed with that performance from them. I think, I think Cosme and Angulao did what Cosme and Angulao do. I think uh, Junior struggled a little bit early, but he got his act together, I think, as the game progressed. But that that right side, man, I just don't know what to make of it because they weren't able to get any separation from the defense. Like, you, you have to, as a lineman, guarantee you're, you're running back at least two and a half, three yards, and they couldn't do that in a lot of situations. Thankfully, Texas has a couple of guys in the backfield that can do something with nothing. But, like, that was a massive struggle for Texas on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, in the run game, they, because of Sam and, and because of Keontae in the fourth quarter, they were able to get over 200 yards for the second straight game, which is great. That's where you want your Texas running game to be. But both of those games, when we've recapped them on this very podcast, we've said the running backs, I don't want to call it Barry Sanders did, but they kind of did it in spite of, rather than Emmett Smithing it, doing it because of, right? It was not the offensive line just clearing these these mountainous holes that anyone could have run through, right? It's been... It's been you know, either good calls, good schemes, or you know, a, a good uh, individual performance. Um, but the the line just has not, and like you said, the, the right side of the line um, has not looked up to par. I mean, there's a, there's a point where I text, I was texting Coach Zaitek, friend of the podcast, and and longtime offensive line coach and gurus come on and talked about some of the techniques and specific parts of it on this podcast, just to ask, like, how how. How is someone off balance immediately on the snap every single play? And that's kind of what I got from Okafor. Um, you know, he's either lunging, um, you know, reaching at people, or he's just not comfortable with his feet right now where he's playing inside at, at, at guard, but he seemed to be better at guard than tackle. Um, you know, you have a, a right tackle who's, who's fresh on the other side of him. Um, in Christian Jones, who, you know, I felt like was compensating for Okafor to the left of him. And so sometimes had some communications when they tried to bring Wiley in to help on some of those runs and stack the right side of the line, which, you know, there was plays where they, they would, you know, there would be such miscommunications where they both went to block one guy or they both just w- went to the next level and let assignments run through and blow plays up in the background. No running back, you know, can, can get past that. There's a reason uh, we'll talk about Bijan, but tried to hurdle somebody because he just wanted to see some space on his carry before that. He got blown up as he received the ball. Um, you know, he just, it's frustrating for a running back when you can't get anything cleared. And it's frustrating. Like we talked about uh, for a quarterback, when you have free rushers at you, it, it's incredibly frustrating when you survey, when you drop back and you see, that they're they're not loading the box and they're dropping eight and and they're you know you you understand that okay that means we need to we need to have some things that take a little bit of time to develop to to find the soft spots in the zone because even in an eight man drop there are going to be some spots but sometimes you have to have receivers work to them how frustrating it is for a quarterback when when you still are getting hit on those plays that's just unacceptable and so Herb Hand needs to needs to figure something out this week and we'll talk about our TCU preview but but something for my eyes, has to be different, whether it's personnel, scheme, or just both. Something has to be different with the offensive line. Yeah, and, and you have to you have to put the caveat on this that Texas Tech probably has the best linebacking crew in the conference. Like you have to put that caveat on there that there are times where it's just that they they're out talenting, which is ridiculous to say, at least at that linebacker spot. But you can't run an RPO if a linebacker hits you at the mesh point. 
Sure. Like you can't you can't make the right decision if there's not a decision to be made. You can't pull the ball and throw it. You can't hand the ball off. Like if the linebacker or a defensive end or a defensive tackle is interfering with the mesh point on a run pass option, you're not going to be able to run anything. You're not going to be able to create space. You're not going to be able to read the defense properly. And I think that was for me the biggest um, the biggest thing I, I, I was frustrated with is that no matter how good your quarterback is, no matter how good your wide receivers are, no matter how good your running backs are, if you can't get into rhythm because the defensive line is playing a yard and a half past the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. then you're never going to be able to get anything going. And I think uh, by by the grace of, of Sam, they were able to get something going late. And I think the defense, the offensive line finally got their act together, at least for those last couple of drives. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think when you have a guy that you can look at and be like, oh, if I hold my block, Sam wins this game. Dope, I can do that, right? So I think that's... That's an opportunity for Texas because Herb Hand and we'll talk more about Jay Bolware in a minute. But I think Herb Hand and Jay Bolware specifically on the line unit have some work to do because and even the personnel package is like I I know you I know Wiley's probably your your best hybrid right he can block and he can he can catch passes but mm-hmm. if you're in a run situation you've got a run set in there I'm not sure why Brewer's not the man right I'm not sure why he's not the guy in that, in that formation, he's, he's your bet. He's your best blocking tight end. Like there's no argument there. And so I think that the, the schematic, and obviously you don't want to tip your hand, but Brewer had caught, I think a couple of passes in that game, right. Or at least was targeted a couple of times. So I think there, there's an opportunity for Texas to be able to uh, create packages that again, when you have the, the run or pass option, uh, a guy that can actually block the run. And I think we should transition and talk about the receivers and skill players, but I do want to just say is I, I, I thought that Brewer looked a little bit like a liability in the passing game, and, I, and that may have been why you saw Wiley, because at least you knew if you needed a flex that it could do that, because I thought there was at least two, you know, I'm going to call them Sam, I'm not going to call them drops, but Sam put them on the money catchable balls that one time Brewer may have been either trying to get separation with his hand or being held and tried to one-handed catch it. And another that, you know, just was a tough catch, but he didn't do it um, where it just looks like if, if maybe we had one of our pass catching tight ends. And again, this is we're reviewing after the fact hindsight's 2020 um, maybe they catch one, two or three of those uh, balls that didn't, didn't make it through Brewer did have one catch for 11 yards, but, um, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I see what you're saying. And, 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 Brewer missed a couple blocks even from what I would have liked to see, but he is the best of the options. But Bulware, man, he has a chance, and we'll talk at length about it, but to, to earn his money this week if the tight ends come out kicking butt is, is, in addition to his duties is special teams. But uh, that's a huge area for, for improvement for me. I, I contend that Brewer was held. It looked like his arm got hooked on that on yeah. that one pass, but we'll, we'll talk so. about that. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the wide receivers, um, Sam spread the ball around. Josh Moore continues to be, I'll just go and call it a revelation. I think we we knew he'd be a contributor. We didn't think he'd be this good. Five receptions, 73 yards, three touchdowns, becomes the first player in Texas history to record four touchdown receptions in the first two games. I think my favorite of them was probably the first one, although the last one was was significant as well. But high-pointing sure. it over two defenders and kind of coming down with a contested ball is something that we've been hoping and praying to see in Burn Orange for quite some time. Brendan Schooler, seven receptions, 58 yards, should have had eight for like 98, but that's fine. And two touchdowns, he only had <laughs> one. But again, he short-armed and missed a pass that was a touchdown to Jake Smith a year ago so we'll talk about the Jake Smith factor uh later on Kai Money four receptions 39 yards Brendan Eagles struggled early came on late I guess Brendan just doesn't like first halves uh three receptions 31 yards and a touchdown he also was on the receiving end of the game tying 
two-point conversion. So that was a unit that overall, it's it's hard to be, like when you look at the surface level of the box score, it's hard to be upset about. But I think there were there were some opportunities, there was a lot of opportunities that they left on the field that Texas uh, could have created some separation. Here's what I'll say, right? Like Jake Smith coming back is going to be big. We 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 need that type of dynamicism at, at the receiver position beyond you know Josh Moore and Eagles when he clicks, right? We want a player who can take a, a screen, you know, and, and and maybe break it off. I I will say, Schooler's been a bit of a re- revelation, but we talked about when he came, right? Like what his ceiling versus his floor. He probably has a higher floor because he has the experience. Seems like Sam clearly trusts him, but I don't know that Schooler's my guy that I feel like I want to see with you know just the the, the skill set that he has being the guy to receive bubble passes right like I, I think there are probably better options um, he showed some 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 solid chops blocking so I'd love to see him in some of those packages being uh, the guy blocking with the Eagles and letting Moore or Smith or someone um, be be the recipient on that but clearly where the unit stands right now and, and Tariq Black before he was hurt was kind of the other um, guy who was constantly in there I think uh, basically <laughs> the coaching staff right now and, and probably even Ellinger seems to trust the grad transfers more. So we need someone else to step up. Now, Josh Moore, you're right. He has stepped up. Clearly he has ascended. I I wonder if anyone on this podcast may have predicted that this summer. Um, that was me. I did. Um, but he, even I, you know, saying that he was my breakout player of the year, didn't necessarily think it was going to come this fast and this heavy so quickly, right? Like four touchdowns in two games. Like, come on, I'm not that good guys, but we need someone else. We need someone. Uh, it's not going to be Whittington right now because he's hurt. Smith coming back from injury. So those are a couple, you know, candidates who people really like. But yeah, like, let's see. Is it Tariq Black stepping up and saying, look, I have some experience. Get me involved. Is it Schooler really finally, you know, settling into that playbook and having a little bit more that he can do understanding Sam? I mean, that, like you said, the touchdown to Smith last year was a back foot throw because Sam had a, a blitz on him that he couldn't set his feet. And that's that freestyle Sam where it's like, I got to get it out there. I'm going to put it on the outside shoulder because then it can't be picked and my playmaker can go make a play, right? And if you if you have those reps, you have that comfort. If that's Colin Johnson or DuVernay, that's a touchdown, right? If that's Smith, that's a touchdown. Um, I hope they get there. I think it could be Schooler maybe. But um, for me, overall good unit. I just felt like after the Josh Moore catch I didn't see another 50-50 ball where the receivers went and helped Sam on what was not in the, the you know before the fourth quarter the end of it his best day I felt like they didn't do him any favors absolutely I think it, that's a fair assessment I mean you saw um, Marcus Washington uh, drop a touchdown you saw again uh, Brendan Schooler drop a touchdown so there's a there's a lot of there's a lot left. They again, I said it already. They, they left a lot in the field. Uh, we we talked about the running backs briefly, the running game really quickly. But um, Keontae Ingram had a great game. had had a heck of a game. Yep. Twelve carries, eighty nine yards, seventy uh, seven point four yards per carry. Didn't come away with a score, uh, but had a couple of culture runs, as I call them, where he was just like, yeah. "Oh, there's a pile here, and we need a first down." Not nah, playing. We're pushing through that. Uh, he had a he had a. Really good game. Even if you take out his one long run, he averaged like 5.7 a carry, which I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, Roshan did score a touchdown, but uh, struggled to get going. Six, uh, 16 carries for 44 yards, uh, but did find some space a couple of times. But the the, the ground game for Texas, um, when you look at it as a unit, again, 200 total yards, I think Ellinger had too much of that. That's just my personal opinion. Granted, Ellinger called his own number a couple of times. Uh, but for, you know, what? 70, I guess, was that 35% of your 200 yards coming from your quarterback? Not really what I hope to see uh, from a unit with these three backs. 
Uh, yeah, I, I I agree though. But as much as we just spent you know a few minutes at the top of this podcast waxing poetic about Sam, I think you have to give Keontae Ingram credit for being the other guy in the fourth quarter who initiated this comeback. Right? They needed something to get going with the running game, and they just handed the ball off up the middle to him, and he just went with a head of steam with an inability to be stopped. In his mind, there was an end zone, and he needed to get to it, and he ran like that. I mean, he ran the way his high school tape looked like. You know, he no one on the field could could stop him. It needed about six or seven uh, at a time to do it. And that was amazing. Like you said, those are culture runs. That that on top of Sam's confidence, I think those two guys are what sparked everything, right? And, 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 and you know, Eagles coming on late, I love that. But, like, I'm, I'm going to give those two my my game balls um, for what they did at, at, at the end of the game. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see four quarters of that. I would like to see an offensive line that enables our running backs to get going. I would like to see our running backs – getting the most of it. Um, and I would like to see us. We, we've gotten 200 yards consecutive games, right? That, that's fantastic. No one is complaining about that. But the way that it happens, right, bring that 30 yards off of what Sam has to do in, in 10 of those carries and give it to running backs when you are establishing the run. Get up, get you know, run to, to, to eat some more clock, have sustained drives like we had last year, um, and, 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 you know, bleed some teams, beat some teams doesn't have to be the home run like let's let's go and manhandle some teams and I think that's where the running game you kind of you see that again I think I'm not an established the run guy but I think you do need to be able to be multifaceted and I think Texas needed more of that on Saturday I I mean I I, just real quick I think out of Sam's I don't have the stat in front of me but I mean if he threw the ball uh, 40 times right I think they probably play actioned at least 25 or 30 of those right play actions only as good as your running game. So for the passing game, you need at least that threat. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. So defensively, Texas looked like Texas and not in a good way. Uh, Texas looked like Texas and and there were differing counts. I counted 763 missed tackles. Uh, legitimate counts have been somewhere in the in the mid to upper 30s. Um, Tom Herman kind of characterized the secondary as we didn't have many busted coverages, but our biggest issues were tackling and losing 50-50 balls. And so we have to the, the defense uh, clamped down when they needed to late. They forced a three and out. They forced not one but two turnovers in overtime. Only one of them made it on the stat sheet, but that's a whole nother conversation. In the Big 12, you know you're going to give up some yardage and some points, but you don't expect to give up 56 of them, Kyle. Yeah. That's a problem, is it not? The highest scoring game in Texas football history, right? That they were a part of with both teams scoring and and neither team had 500 yards. So, I mean, yeah, they gave up yards. They gave up points. But it it was a lot of the other facets of the game that kind of led to that. I'll say this, right? For a team that 
don't think looks good. And in fact, looks very bad on certain plays at certain times. Like you said, they're clamping down at the end and showing what they can do when they're engaged. Why that's not always, I don't know. Um, you know, on, on the overtime, they they were getting pressure that they hadn't gotten in two quarters. You know, in in, in getting hands on Bowman and, and forcing some things. They you know blew up any of the the running attempts in the in the towards the end in the fourth quarter. I, they after they let Sir Roderick go. Um, but you know, it, two two interceptions immediately after a potentially game changing uh, special teams. Uh, mishaps right the 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 onside kick that they let happen um and, and then you know they, they they both didn't let tech get so far ahead with the momentum i mean i think we we said at halftime this feels like a game texas should be winning but also should be losing and both were true um and i think that's because of this defense they made the big plays they had three interceptions um overshone almost had a scoop and score uh, return for a touchdown on Adam Moore's interception. There's no reason he shouldn't have had a, a pick six right there. The, you know, the, the, the offense converted that. I think Juwan Mitchell twi- tried twice to, to field almost fumbles that ended up being incompletion. So they were so close, like inches away from being such an even more productive unit, which is a big 12 unit, right? Hey, I gave up yards, but I, I created turnovers. I, I clamped down. I had Adam Moore. had a third down, you know, conversion pass breakup. Those types of plays, those individual plays can stop you know, what can otherwise feel like a, a just an entire rock slide, mountain slide in the Big 12 because these offenses are so good, these offensive coordinators are so good, and they'll just dink and dunk you, nickel, dime you, RPO, glance, slant, underneath, you know, little little six-yard pass. They will just kill you. They will kill you on that, that you have to make a something play, whether it's a, a breaking up a pass, getting that, that you know, turnover, uh, changing the momentum, or, you know, getting those third-down stops. That they, they were close. They, if they can just tackle... Right, if they would have tackled more consistently, I think we all would have felt better about a lot of things with the defense. But give them credit because this was still better than last year because they did make some plays. You have to you have to also talk about that. Fourteen of these points are directly credited to special teams blunders. Right, yep. 40, 42 is still not great, but more no. more palatable than fifty six. Definitely. So like the the Texas defense itself didn't give up fifty six points, and we'll talk. We will talk about special teams in just a moment, but I think that the the thing that was most problematic or disconcerting for me was just that the the defensive backfield I think just did not look like they were either a size or physicality match for the Tech wide receivers. And Tech's wide receivers are good; they're probably yeah. the biggest group of wide receivers uh, in the conference outside of Texas, probably. Um, but that if you don't have the size and you got to be physical and I don't feel like they were physical enough attacking the bodies, pressing coverage, like getting beat off of the press when they tried to like there, there was, there was a lack of like, I think, I think of guys like Quandre Diggs who was tiny, mm. but he would shut you down. Cause he's like, I'm going to come at your chest and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just hit you as hard as I can. And so I think for, for, for Texas, this is the the biggest wide receiving group they're going to play all year. So that's 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 a unique challenge that Tech faces. But the physicality is going to be every week because it's the Big 12 and that's what Big 12 yeah. receivers do is they'll body you. And so that to me is the thing that I really want to see improved on because it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any easier. You've got uh, you've got TC who's got a couple really talented receivers and then you got OU. Yep. And I don't know if you know this, but OU recruits wide receivers really, really well. So mm-hmm. I am, I I have some trepidation, Kyle. I'll say um, the the physicality of Big Twelve passing is going to be something to watch. 
Yeah, we'll talk about Tay Barber in our preview, but yeah, Charleston Rambo, I mean, obviously Tylen Wallace, uh, there are these types of players in the Big 12. That's that's the Big 12, right? But to have three of them is tough and three big playmates. Like, there was there was probably three Sunday wide receiver plays in this game. One of them was Josh Moore we talked about, but the other two were Tech, and two of their touchdowns came on just winning, right? And, and, and you know, one was going over Jalen Green and just making a play that was covered really well. They just canceled out the Josh Moore touchdown and another was on TJ Vasher making uh, one of the best you know catches of the season that we'll see that diving fingertip catch into the end zone as he but he beat his coverage to get there but still an incredible catch to save his quarterback um that's tough those are tough but I do think that take those out right and and there was just so many plays and I think that's why Herman graded I think he said a C or C minus for the group as a whole um where okay they threw a, a six yard you know hitch it, tackle and and you're out of there but you don't tackle and you let them turn that into nine and a first down and it's something totally different and and um you know i i just feel like it was it was rpos where we froze on a bubble screen and and it was both linebackers and defensive backs um but then you take again a 12 yard gain that hurts because they got a first down oh and they broke the tackle and got a touchdown oh also they took a seven yard slant and had 30 yards of yak and broke six tackles for a touchdown. So two of their touchdowns literally were because the short pass was whiffed by multiple people on the tackle attempt following up. And then it became only stopped by the goal line, by the end zone, by them scoring. No one was going to stop them. And that's the stuff that really frustrates you to defense. That's what probably cost Todd Orlando's job last year. So you want to see that stuff go. And then you can live with a big 12 unit, you know, giving up some plays. Yeah. And, and it's the big 12. Offense is going to happen. It is the best offensive conference in the nation, bar none. And so that's going to happen. But giving up ones that you don't need to give up becomes problematic, right? Give up the ones that you – it's just going to happen. But you can't create extra scoring opportunities for for your opponent. And so I think you you mentioned it as well, but I think the linebackers really struggled in the RPO game. And I think on opposite ends where I think Mitchell was a bit of a liability in pass coverage where Overshone was a bit of a liability in run coverage. And uh, we knew, we knew that Overshone would have a learning curve. I think he is fast and he kind of clamped down a little late, but he overplayed a couple of different run plays, uh, missed a couple of tackles. I think there, there's such a thing as being too aggressive as a linebacker Yes, where you take yourself out of the play or you put yourself in a position where you can't make a tackle. And I think he did that a couple of times. The, the upside of that is that that's coachable. That's infinitely coachable. I would much rather you be too aggressive than not aggressive enough as a linebacker. But I think there, I, I can, I remember early on in the game, there was an RPO where Mitchell just watched the quarterback throw the ball over his head mm-hmm. where he stopped and the ball just sailed and it was right between him and the safety. And it, it's, he's not, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not going to be able to go step for step with a lot of people, but like him just not being in the same frame as the receiver that should have been his man is problematic. Hey guys, you know what? Probably listeners listen to this. If you hear nothing else about defense in the big 12, probably 65% of the looks that they will face this year in Big 12 play will feature a quarterback running back RPO kind of inside outside zone with say a bubble screen um, on on the same side and a glance route on the backside sometimes they'll have that slant also on the front side right that that basic package gives six different options that can happen you have to stop them uh, Juwan Mitchell basically stood flat-footed and said, oh, it might be a run. Oh, it might be a bubble. Oh, they just threw it over my head on that play you're talking about. It, 
didn't help that BJ Foster then whiffed on the tackle and they got a touchdown on that play. But I mean, if I'm Lincoln Riley, I hate what happened to me on Saturday. Newsflash, if you missed right before the Texas game, oh, you lost, which is fantastic. But I'm loving looking at my biggest game of the season being against Texas and seeing what's their weakest point. Oh, the way their linebackers play RPOs. And he laughs evilly and maniacally because Lincoln Riley will just absolutely shred and destroy a linebacking crew that hesitates, can't play the the very basis of Big 12 offensive football. And it's tough. There's a reason that the Big 12 offense is so good. It's really tough to do to play linebacker in this conference. But I, like you said, I, I think the overplaying on Overshone is more coachable. I want to see something from Mitchell or whoever plays that other linebacker who can offer something more against the pass, against specifically that RPO. We, you, you brought it up. Even UTEP had some success. So th- there needs to be a step up there is the same that I view our offensive line on the right side. Those are the two things that have to, if this is going to be a successful season, have to have to have some development. There's got to be a step up. And we, we, each and every year we, we talk about the line. It feels like we've talked about the census podcast has been a thing where like Texas has questions at linebacker and the state of Texas doesn't put out like a ton of top tier linebackers each and every year, which is why Texas prioritized all the in-state linebackers this year. Um, and you know, you, you don't, you don't expect a DeGabriel Floyd to happen. I think if DeGabriel mm. Floyd uh, is healthy, this might be a different look. But we do have to talk about how bad this defense was in the third quarter. Uh, because the third quarter was absolutely atrocious on both sides of the ball. But defensively, let's just talk about this. 113 yards, 21 points on an average of, I believe it was uh, it was 8.6 yards per reception. Oof. They went four of seven on third downs. Time of possession, 11 minutes, and yeah, that's a bad frame. That'll put an entire game in new light, which it did on Saturday. Man, that's that's tough. Like, you, you, you saw Tech come out and try to slow it down, so that time of possession is partly the, you know, good good play by Tech. Give them credit. The coordinators, the coaches said, let's when we have the ball, let's slow it down. Let's try to, you know, get our offense some chance to control this thing. But you're right. I mean, four, seven and fourth down, just, just giving up eight yards of play is, is it's unacceptable. You don't win games like that. So again, kudos that you overcame and we still need to talk about the special teams, but all the special team mistakes, the offense struggling at times, shutting down and that defense, and you still win. All these things we talked about are in a win, which is amazing. That's the way I'd like to do it. Let, let's have lots of things to fix, but still get a win. Um, But, you know, I, I think, the third quarter started the the trend that I think the second quarter we, we saw almost the third quarter. We saw none of pressure. And I think that's the root of it. I think our defensive line is good. We know that they, they have played the run relatively well this year. They, they, they look the eye test like they're doing good. They're getting close. I think the, the tech offensive game plan didn't really let Bowman sit in the pocket to try to counter that. But I think pressure helps against an RPO. You you stop an RPO by playing it behind the line, right? By by getting in there and, and, and messing with that uh, mesh point like you talked about. You stop a quarterback just, you know, slinging it uh, like Bowman did, you know, 52 times and getting into rhythm by hitting him in the mouth, right? By, by sacking him and putting them behind the chains and getting them out of their offensive game plan. And until Texas feels like they can do that consistently, you're going to have just some really awful odds against you defensive series and, and you hope they don't all come in one quarter all stacked against you but I mean that has to that has to be improved I mean you you touched on it but Texas had zero hurries if the stat sheet is to be believed 
Like zero quarterback hurries and just six tackles for loss. It's a bad look from a defense that needs to get a quarterback off timing. And, and that's going to really come in handy in like two weeks when you've got Spencer, I get rattled Rattler in yeah. coming into Dallas. Like you need to find a way to generate a pass rush. And I say that with, they didn't count the two, the two Joseph Osai, right. like slap the ball out of his hand plays. Like Joseph Osai is, a, is, is like a baby's breath away from having multiple sacks in that game. And I think right. uh, against the lesser offensive line, I think uh, potentially he's able to get there and, the rulings were correct, but it's just it's it's tough to see a guy like Joseph Osai, whose motor is so high, uh, who's able to almost get to the quarterback, but not quite. So I think that's something to continue to watch is can Texas consistently generate a pass rush? Can Texas consistently pressure a quarterback and get them off rhythm, get them out of the pocket, get them to a point where they're not necessarily able to be comfortable? You know when they consistently, when you saw that, maybe the only time this season when they consistently got in the backfield and had a, a pass rush and generated some things? Overtime, when when Bowman tried to give it away twice and ended up throwing that interception, it was because Osai and uh, Jomo, for his credit, um, were were there in the backfield. It was you know uh, Jomo and 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 Sweat getting in the backfield to blow up the run. It was you know overtime was what this defense could look like and should look like. Again, our offense needed backs against the wall. Defense needed backs against the wall. What does do the coaches have to do? to light that hair on fire, to get them playing like that in the second quarter, in the third quarter, you know, early in the fourth quarter. That's that's the question that they're asking this week. So we've got to talk briefly about the special teams. And by briefly, I mean <sighs> we've got to talk about it, and I don't want to it, – it makes me angry. But I didn't know special teams could get worse after some of the performances last year. But the punting unit had one blocked, almost had another one blocked. So yep. uh, Tom Herman chuckled at the almost block, but it almost happened, Tom. Like you've got yes. when one gets blocked for a score, and the like, and the almost block happened before the block, if I remember correctly. It so did. You should have seen that one coming, guys. Uh, so you get one blocked uh, for a for a score. You have a uh, a punt returner who should have let a ball go over his head that tried to chase it down, then touched it and touched it twice, which means that they can advance it and score. Uh, and then the kick return units were just mm, nah, they were they were weren't really great. But like they brought on a guy like Jay Bolware and even a guy like Coleman Hutzler who probably does a little bit of coaching there as well. Um, like those units, and we'll talk about the onside kick separately because I think that's a that's a completely different uh, conversation. But like for the the punt units, for the punt return unit, for the actual punting unit, like that's inexcusable. Yep, yep. You 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 lost this you know phase of the game it, you, in 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 a game where you they did actually block one for a touchdown back. Um, un- unleashing the Kraken and Tyler Owens, who's just so freaking fast. I don't know that any team can scheme for that. Um, but in that in a game where you have that play, and congrats to Johnny Barron getting freshman touchdown on that recovery, when you can say without a doubt that you were absolutely beaten that phase of the game, right? Like the reason this was a game, even all the other things we just talked about in the other two phases, uh, the reason that this was even anything, and it took what it took was because you lost this phase of the game so glaringly, right? The 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 punt return for the touchdown, utterly inexcusable, just just bad. Um the the like you said, one blocked should have been could have been two blocked punts when when you know what are you doing? Like it, it, I I just I, I just truly don't I don't understand that whatsoever what you know what you thought was happening after you you get away with one on the first one, but uh, it seemed like everyone in the stadium saw they were coming to block it, except 
Texas. I don't know. Um, it, it, it's tough. I will say this. Look, we're talking about special teams. And what ultimately allowed us to be sitting here talking about a victory? It was, it was Dicker the kicker getting an incredible onside kick that was executed flawlessly and perfectly. And so our beautiful little baby boy angel gets to be perfect yet again. Um, not since the OU week was, did he have a better game? He was two for two, including his um, Achilles heel of that 40 to 50 yard field goal range, but also then put a perfectly executed onside kick that, Hey, did you see a Malcolm Epps who keeps uh, surprising us in weird ways? RPO recipient rusher and uh, onside kick coverer um, contributing. But, but yeah, I mean, outside of that and Tyler Owens running like a 10 flat hundred, you know, we were bad everywhere else and, and it has to get better. It just has to. Yeah, Jay Bulware has his work cut out for him. Uh, that The onside kick that Tech recovered, I think, is a perfect storm of, like, you don't expect that, and that Tech punt, that tech kicker uh, played it perfectly. And yep. I also, I disagree with the overturn. I think that block happened before the recovery, but that's, again, I think that was an illegal play, but whatever. You know, Tom Herman did say, we sent three or four of those to the league office, and they said they got them wrong. So, quickly, we do have a Potsdamus update. Kyle still leads 2-1. I think, Kyle, you did not get either of yours, if that is correct. Oh, no, actually. Did I got one, one of, of, of my two that we would have at least two interceptions Ooh, uh, of Alan Bowman, which we had three. Yep. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I went one for two this week because I don't even want to talk about uh, Tarek Black in, in my prediction there, but it, it was not good. Yeah, uh, he was he was blacked out of, of the, the stat sheet. Uh, so I, I also went one of two. I had multiple players with touchdowns, but I expected multiple quarterbacks to play multiple drives. So Kyle is leading three to one currently, and we'll have some more Potsdamus predictions for you on Thursday. Quick injury update. Scariest hit I've seen in a long time. Jeez. Probably should have been an ejection uh, yeah. targeting a defenseless player, but Bijan gets hit in the back with a helmet after getting flipped. Uh, did not practice on Sunday dealing with a back strain. I need people to stop hurdling, folks. That's a play stop. you can make in Arizona high school. You cannot make that in D1 college. Jake Smith, a guy who Texas dearly missed, should be back for TCU. So we're going to down the 40 real quickly. Three-star offensive tackle Max Merrill commits to Texas. He becomes the third offensive lineman in this class. 6'4", 273 from straight Jesuit. Uh, got the Texas offer four days prior to the commitment, and then three days, I guess, after the commitment was like, hey, I've got some news tomorrow. And so we're all like, okay, we know what's happening here. Uh, so he is now the third offensive lineman in that class. So Texas tried, finally found a, another tackle in that class. Volleyball. Headed to Norman and got to say, oh, you sucks not once, but twice came away two nothing with two wins dominant in the opening set of that second game. They, they won, they won three to none on uh, Friday and then Saturday they dominated the opening set, let OU hang around in the middle two and then closed it out in the third. Uh, so Texas threw, uh, undefeated to start the season mm -hmm. uh, soccer chipped in as well and beat OU 1-0 for their first win of the season. So Texas was 4-0 on the weekend. Freshman forward uh, Presley Eccles broke the scoring drought for Texas uh, after sitting out the first two matches. So maybe she is 
Uh, the missing piece to it, her older sisters actually play for OU because, again, love it when the younger one plays for Texas and gets to be the best. More ladies were in action this weekend. Texas women's golf opened their season uh, in Norman at the Schooner Invitational, finished 10th. But freshman Bentley Cotton and sophomore Sophie Guo both recorded top 20 finishes. They will uh, come home for the Betsy Rawls Invitational on October 10th. Texas baseball got a commitment from 6'5 right-handed pitcher from Blinn, Jace Hutchins. So Texas basketball also is filling uh, some gaps. They they promoted uh, director of men's basketball operations, Cody Hatt, to his first role as an assistant coach, filling the vacancy left by Jai Lucas. We miss you. Uh, they also shifted up the staff just a little bit to make sure they have uh, some backfill there. They named... Uh, he kind of backfilled his spot with uh, Nevada Smith from the NBA's G League and the coordinator of video operations, Co- um, Cody San Miguel. And that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions at all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Oh, I am banging the drum on a little piece of history. Texas now gets... Uh to get into the 30s on heads of university, Jay Hartzell. We, we've talked about him a couple times on this podcast. Is officially uh, confirmed as the 30th president of the University of Texas. Uh, I think he still holds the Centennial Tale Business Education Leadership uh, in the B School. Uh, again, coming from the dean of that program, has been a standout dean, professor, and uh, citizen of the 40 acres during his time in Austin, the few interactions I've had with him, he seemed like a really incredible uh, guy. And it seems like everyone who's come in contact with him in his new role as interim president has been very happy and proud of his work. And so now it's official. He is, um, I think, last week officially by the Board of Regents voting unanimously the 30th president of the University of Texas at Austin. Hook'em, President Hartzell. Absolutely. A guy who, well, the business school was mad when he was named interim because I knew he just wasn't coming back. I'm banging the drum this week on Alan Bowman and Karma. So after the, um, let's just say it, after the presum- presumptive dagger, uh, Alan Bowman decided to flash the horns down trying to be Joe Burrow. Well, I'll tell you something. First of all, Joe Burrow, he ain't. But second of all, Sam Ellinger doesn't take that lightly. And I think part of why Sam went all sicko mode on them is because Alan Bowman decided to try to throw the horns down. I'm not one to get upset by it. I don't care. If you don't want him to throw the horns down, don't let him score. Don't let him beat you. But I do love seeing Alan Bowman throw the horns down only to be absolutely trash can water from there on out and basically cost Texas Tech the game in overtime. So Alan Bowman, hats off to you. I'm so glad you got to remind us what the water at the bottom of the trash can smells like when you take it out and it, like drips on your ankles oh my gosh that took me back to my time as a tour guide at natural bridge caverns the trash can water uh probably circling with bees as well uh yuck um no i i thought you were going to talk about um you know the for five minutes he was the president of texas tech actually jared wiley who eviscerated uh both bowman in the entire city of lubbock when the man from near waco texas said uh, so happy to be leaving the worst city he's ever played football in lubbock that's saying something out there on those planes uh you get it you get it bowman you get to hold that big fat l for another year until y'all come to austin probably 10 years you get to hold the l keep it close to your chest Maybe it'll keep you warm at night in those cold, cold, cold. So that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? 
Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can send us tweets like our friend, friend Rick Artis did when he asked about the uh, the defensive backs. I hope we spent enough time talking about the defensive backs, Rick. If we didn't, choose another tweet and we'll try again next week. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game live streams. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Guns down.